This is a shock podcast. Shock. We know that this is going to kill Nick's confidence, but is that something that you guys would have done as team bosses? I mean, it's a cutthroat business, Formula One is. At the end of the day, they just want to see results. The fact that AlphaTauri is already not doing well, why not just go ahead and reshuffle the entire driver lineup? I would have put Liam Lawson in, paired with Yuki, and then just shuffle out Perez for Ricardo. That does beg the question, why are they keeping Chekhov <laughs> for another year? <laughs> I, I have no idea. Hello and welcome to another episode of Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast. Make sure you tune in on all of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as the Shock app. So we really thought that our next episode would have been post-Hungary, but gents, there's been too much juice happening. There's, uh, there's been quite a lot of news up and down the paddock. The biggest thing is, of course, De Vries has officially gotten the boot. Yeah, we predicted that quite well, Dan, and great to be back on the show. Uh, yes, finally, Nick has gotten the boot before the final three races that Albert Marco actually gave to him as an, another second chance. And Daniel Ricciardo has filled in that seat with the intention of getting back to the grid. And also, rumored of the paddock is a preparation for him to eye for the Red Bull seat in 2025. So, very juicy, very juicy. Now, this topic is, of course, so, so juicy. We are all having to dial in via what's basically a Zoom call. Uh, we're not in our usual studio setup. So to all of our listeners, I do apologize for the slightly not so great audio. <laughs> we're all tiling in from around the world. But let's jump in with a few of our thoughts. I think the number one question that everybody has is, is this decision too harsh? I mean, it's, it's very classic of Red Bull to do something like this. But still, it's a bit mean, isn't it? Well, we kind of predicted that, didn't we? We knew that De Vries was going to get the boot. He did sooner than expected, unfortunately. I think everyone feels for the guy. You know, he has so much yet to accomplish. Unfortunately, he didn't do it within the timeline. And just like every other Red Bull driver that got the sack, unfortunately, he did as well. So not too much to comment on there. I just hope De Vries gets a chance somewhere else to really show his experience and skill. Formula 2 champion, Formula E champion, he should do well somewhere else, hopefully. Dan, it seemed that, that there was a bit of media pressure as well. Um, the build-up of results not being there, highlights of who's going to replace him, what's the next direction for Alfa Tori. Is he actually worthy uh, of an F1 driver being on the grid? He's, he's a world champion in, in other categories, but far from it in Formula 1. So having said that, the first leak was actually from his manager, Guillaume Le Goff, who said that they were there were leaks in the media that uh, revealed the news. But unfortunately, uh, they had... To announce it sooner than expected with Daniel Ricciardo doing his two-day test in Silverstone, which went fantastic. I mean, he's, he was on the pace. He was just a couple of tenths off uh, Max, which apparently said to be a potential front row if he was racing on that weekend. So having said that, it wasn't easy. It was very harsh and brutal, uh, as Sebastian Vettel himself said, from a multiple champion, but it was time for him to, to move on. Do you guys really think it was time? I mean, look, we're all transitioning now from like us three on the podcast from racing drivers to what are essentially management positions, right? We're all involved in managing other racing drivers, racing teams, etc. And I think knowing the psychology of a racing driver and how, yeah. let's be real, sensitive they can be, right? I mean, we're, we're all human here. And to, to be given a three 
race kind of window of opportunity to prove yourself and not being even allowed to have that run to fruition. I mean, we know that this is going to kill Nick's confidence, but I don't know, is that something that you guys would have done as team bosses? Is that is that really how you, you manage a team? I mean, it's a cutthroat business, Formula One is. They're spending millions and millions of dollars. And at the end of the day, they just want to see results. So maybe, you know, if you're a solo team point of view, perhaps you want to give Nick a bit more room to grow and to see him nurture into a better driver, hopefully getting into grips with the car. But from Helmut Marco's point of view, you know, he's looking after Red Bull and AlphaTauri and all the Red Bull junior drivers. So it's sort of one of those things where I feel that he didn't really care anymore. He didn't have anything else to lose. So why not just do it right away? And then hopefully it can be a turnaround as well to give Ricardo another chance to get back in the seat. So where do we think De Vries is going to be going to next? I hear he may be looking at Formula E again. Yeah, um, a few of the big teams has been looking as an option for De Vries to come back. I mean, he is a world champion in, in Formula E. Uh, there was a rumor in the paddock that says uh, there are weighing options in Nissan alongside Oliver Rowland for that Nissan seat. Uh, Mahindra is looking for an option to have De Vries back on the grid. All in all, I think, guys, it's not all bad. I mean, it looks bad, the fact that you know, his Formula 1 career perhaps didn't take off and ended very soon, sooner than anyone expected. But as a career moving forward, he still has offers on the table, which is not a bad thing as a racing driver, right? But Formula E is probably more home to him and perhaps sports cars. He was also a Toyota uh, reserve driver in World Endurance Championship and he jumped in in Le Mans, I believe, in 2021 or 2022 uh, where he finished fourth in the LMP2 category without doing any testing, without doing any practice sessions where one of the amateur drivers had to, had to pull out from the race. So I think his raw speed in perhaps other categories has proven himself. Just the footing in Formula 1 uh, is not for him. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I think I think a lot of Formula 1 fans who may not necessarily know about the rest of the motorsports ecosystem and, and universe, if you will, they do feel like this is endgame, right? Like what more is there other than the pinnacle of motorsports in Formula 1? But Jazz, exactly as you say, you know, the reality is there are so many other racing championships world-class, highly competitive, manufacturer-backed racing categories around the world. I mean, Ron, you've you've raced in some of them. What are those other opportunities that De Vries can explore outside of Formula E? I mean, looking at it, you know, he's got uh, Formula E, as you guys mentioned. He's got IndyCar as well. They'll be very interesting to see if he can actually pilot and uh, he should be fine. You know, Takuma Sato is quite a small guy as well. And IndyCar is really, you know, is extremely physical, I think, compared to, to Formula 1 because they obviously use very different systems. But, you know, that being said, yeah, World Endurance Championship is also another one that he can explore. Maybe Super Formula might not be of his interest because it's mainly Japan-centric. But there are plenty of other opportunities. He should try rallying, I think. He'll be he'll be good at that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But yeah, moral of the story is he's still going to be driving a lot of cars for a very, very long time. Now, let's circle back onto Ricardo. Right. Uh, we can talk about how he's going to do, etc. What kind of pressures he's going to be under. But I just want to say, just to wrap up on the Nick point, I think what makes it even worse for Nick, like the awful cherry on top, is the fact that while everybody may agree that it's a bit harsh for De Vries to be booted this quickly, at the same time, everybody is just so happy to see Ricardo back on track. Everybody's posting about it. All the big smiles have been like flooding my Instagram feed. I mean, that must City. be a real jab in the heart. 
They only had two options. They had Ricciardo or Liam Lawson. Ricciardo, we know he's a, a Grand Prix race winner, right? A multiple Grand Prix race. But Liam Lawson is actually leading the championship in Super Formula in his first year in an unknown territory, in an unknown car that he's never driven before. So he's got two talents ready to go. But the only option commercially and experience-wise to also benchmark against Yuki is Daniel Ricciardo, right? So to have Ricciardo on the grid brings so much package. I mean, he's, he's returned back to Faenza in the factory. He was welcomed by every single personnel member. And and uh, I don't know if you guys have seen, I mean, he's, he speaks a little bit of Italian. The welcome back was phenomenal. So it's, it's great to, to have him back on the grid. And it's great. The vibe is so strong within the Formula 1 community and Alpha Tauric. So yeah, Alpha yeah. is giving positive vibes, but are they going to be giving him a good enough car? I mean, everybody's talking about this like massive comeback, but I mean, Ron, are we thinking it's going to be a just this massive underwhelming showcase? I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Ricardo, if I'm going to be honest, because now he's going up against Yuki, who is considered the seasoned driver within the team. But Ricardo's obviously had nine races, uh, nine race wins under his belt, I believe. He will have to perform and I think he needs to perform in order to please Red Bull, to please the whole team and to make his mark back into a seat again and just to prove like, I deserve to be in Formula 1, I deserve to be racing full time and now's his chance to do that again. But that being said, I wanted to discuss with you guys because I sort of imagined myself in Helmut Marko's position, hopefully one day. The fact that AlphaTauri is already not doing well this season, why not just go ahead and reshuffle the entire driver lineup? It's not like they've got anything to lose at the end of the day. I would have put Liam Lawson in, paired with Yuki, and then just shuffle out Perez for Ricardo. Do we think that Yuki has a a wider contract with AlphaTauri? I mean, with the, the very strong Japanese connections they have, do we feel like Yuki's maybe slightly untouchable at this point in the season? He's doing very well. Obviously, Honda's got his back. But then again, remember, we saw the announcement that uh, Aston Martin is going to be pairing up with Honda as the engine engine supplier for 2026. So there are rumors as well that Aston Martin might be a door open for Yuki in the near future. Do we feel like a mid-season shakeup for Liam Lawson would have been too soon? I mean, another thing that we have to take into account is proper driver development. Right, And this is the whole purpose of AlphaTauri and Rebels Junior Driver Program. They need to properly bring up drivers into each and every season. Would pulling Liam Lawson out of his Super Formula season unexpectedly, would, would that just shake him up a little bit too much? That's a good point. And it, unfortunately, I think it will also set precedent. Let's say if a driver does well in the Junior Development Program with Red Bull, they might use this as an example. Let's say if Liam Lawson were to get an F1 seat, they might use that and say, why not just put me in the car right now, just as you did for Liam? You know what I mean? So I think um, the reason they didn't do that is because they want Liam to complete the championship. He has to win it and then he'll get a shot. Historically as well, looking at Red Bull drivers in general, um, I think we've seen, you know, some drivers doing well halfway through the season. And for example, you know, Jaime Alguasuari, young Red Bull lad, um, had so much potential, came in mid-season, needed the mileage, finished okay, but career ended there. 
you know, you've you've also seen certain subs like Sebastian Vettel. On the other hand, uh, he replaced Scott Speed, which is uh, Wayron's favorite driver. And so um, having said that, he brought Toro Rosso's first win and first points with fourth place finish in the Chinese Grand Prix. So certain subs mid season is not out of the ordinary for Red Bull. But I think for Liam Stans, better develop him right to the very end. He's still a young lad. Give him the mileage he needs. I mean. You can test in an older spec Formula 1 car, a two or three year old spec. So behind closed doors, we don't know how much mileage has been, he's been doing. It's the same when Oscar Piastri, before he left for McLaren, Alpine was giving him a ton of mileage to prepare him to be on the grid. So it's good to stay put. I think Red Bull knows what the team needs, uh, succession planning, uh, timing especially, uh, but Having said that, looking on the other end of the spectrum, it is more pressure for Daniel Ricciardo because he's someone, someone that, that has been a Grand Prix race winner, someone that has so much experience. And if he gets outperformed by Yuki Tsunoda, it's career over for him. Yes, everyone's talking about the Red Bull 2025 seed, Perez not performing, but he has to really prove himself as well, you know, alongside uh, Yuki Tsunoda. For sure. And it's not just keeping his seat for this year, but he knows why he's doing this, right? He knows why he's back in this group of teams. He wants that 2025 Red Bull seat. Now, I think behind the scenes, Jazz and Ron, we've been kind of speculating as to whether or not this half season is just temporary and whether Checo will be getting the boot. I know that's been a popular discussion in the last few episodes on this podcast, but we've seen Christian Horner come out with a statement and I quote, our drivers are going to be Max and Checo next year, but it's always good to have talent in reserve. And I think Daniel firmly wants to be pitching for that 2025 Red Bull seat. So that does beg the question, why are they keeping Checo <laughs> for another year? Yeah. <laughs> you, you got, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Same here, Dan. I think the, the, the commercial value of Mexico but, also brings a lot to the table. You know, he's still a racer. He's, he's still a good number two. But whether being a good number two is enough for Red Bull, you know, to fight for those championship titles. For sure, for sure. And I, I definitely think the sponsor money that Checo is bringing in is going to be or is more than substantial. Um, but this does also raise the kind of mental impact it will have on Checo. I mean, his 2024 seat is secure, but is that just going to damage his confidence for an entire season? Maybe. I think so, because looking at, you know, your quote from Christian, what he said, it almost sounds like he's actually indirectly putting pressure on Checo. Like, hey, you better perform. Otherwise, the 2025 seat is not going to be yours anymore. Like, Checo knows his place in the team. He knows he brings value. As Jez mentioned, there's a lot of commercial value that he can bring to the team, to Red Bull, with all the Mexican fans. But how long can that last if he's not performing at the level that Red Bull wants? So ultimately... I think performance is going to outweigh that political side of things um, with a commercial value, whatnot. Yeah, he really needs to buck up and do well in 2024. But I think he is under pressure, even though he says he's not. He doesn't really care what happens this year. He just wants to do well for the next. It really does beg the question of how much short-term memory Christian Horner and Helmut Marko have, because Checo could absolutely butcher the rest of the season but if he does well enough in the next season maybe that's his opportunity to retain the 2025 seat i think so uh, i don't know what you think there ron but looking at where he is at the moment there's a lot of work that needs to be done 
I think we had this conversation on the fact that Red Bull is a championship winning team and winning car. Without Checo, Max himself is is collecting <laughs> the points needed, right? And you're paying two top drivers to lead that charge. So time is running out. Although time ran out for De Vries, time is running out for Checo. He's got 12 years of Formula One experience under his belt. He's been in situations where he's driven for McLaren, he's driven at Force India, you know, now with Red Bull. He knows what needs to be done. So it's now or never. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on from this Red Bull shuffle up and talk about other teams coming in potentially for 2026. Uh, In the last few episodes, we've also been speculating as to who may get this additional slot. But apparently, the FIA has hinted that they will choose two of the four teams to be entered into 2026. Yeah, there's big talks in the paddock there, guys. Obviously, Audi will be one of the first confirmed ones with buying a stake in Sauber. So we will see Alfa Romeo leaving the grid uh, in 2026. But there is new entries coming up. So four mm-hmm. named teams. So one of it being a Hong Kong consortium uh, that is led by a guy called Benjamin Duran, who's apparently going to be called Lucky Sun's F1 team, which is one of the four teams that is bidding for the entry. Second is High Tech Grand Prix. We know where the funders are coming from for this. And uh, team principal Oli Hope says the facilities, funds and infrastructure ready for the team. Rodin Cars, an entity from New Zealand, which is led by Trevor Carlin, who is a well-known person in the paddock, who's developed many young drivers and he himself was a team principal for Jordan back in 2005. And last but not least is Andretti Cadillac, which has huge support from General Motors, who wants to be on the grid. So yeah, FIE has entered two of the teams. I think the current remaining teams don't look happy because they share their prize money at the end of the year. Um, but I guess teams are seeing it as a, a right time, a right feat, and uh, commercially viable for the sport. Very juicy indeed, and also equally, if not more juicy, there has been, or is ongoing, there is a Singapore Grand Prix corruption scandal. Now, I know a lot of this is still hearsay, but tell us a little bit about what's what's happening right now. There's still a lot of things that uh, haven't been revealed yet, but the founder of, or rather the person who brought in Singapore Grand Prix has been charged. Obviously, you know, he's the one that brought it in. He's the one that put the whole deal together. Singapore GP is so iconic. I feel like it can't not be in the calendar. Everyone looks forward to that weekend. That race weekend brings so much revenue to the country. They can't not afford to have it on the F1 on the F1 calendar. What are your gents' thoughts? Well, the event is going ahead to what I know, judging from people on the ground, the, the infrastructure, the lights, the paddock, the you know, safety barriers and even the corporate suites are are moving forward. I was still talking about the concert lineup. And having said that, they have an agreement in black and white that it will run till twenty twenty eight. So we just got to wait and see, guys, because cases like this, even the Vietnamese Grand Prix had something or somewhat of a case. But yeah, it's not it's not easy to to see from the outside. Yeah, I don't think uh, I can comment too much until the case kind of comes to to fruition. But all I can say is the race is probably going to happen. I hope it does happen. It's one of the most iconic races on the calendar. And yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. But uh, some unfortunate news. Now, as we look forward to the next race, we're going to be in Hungaroring on the 21st to the 23rd of July. Um, some teams are going to be bringing in some upgrades. Now, we know Alpha Tori has an upgrade package that has been split into two parts. So the first of which came into Silverstone. And we saw quite a bit happening there. 
pretty much revamping. Let's be real, most of the car they change the tunnel in it, the bracer floor, the rear body work, the diffuser, the rear wing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not just them; it's also Red Bull and McLaren. Getting these upgrades to work. It's a very minimal window, right? Even if you come up with an inlet or a new floor or a new rear wing, you gotta get it to work. The best part of looking at McLaren, it worked in Austria, right? It found the gains, and and the key is always, you know, uh, more downforce, less drag. And McLaren's bringing that little bit of performance into Hungary so that they know they have a good baseline after summer break to go on. But on the other hand, Alfotori, like you said, Dan has you know, changed almost the architecture of the car. And Yuki Snowda himself saying that it's not working. So after all that money spent on revamping the, the, the car, it is worrying. So they've got to find that window in Budapest before the summer break to actually know what is working and what is not. I think it's a good thing that they're going to throw in another phase two uh, with Daniel in the car with enormous amount of experience compared to Yuki and see whether it's actually working or not. So it is a long season, but you don't want to get left behind because others uh, will catch up. And also for AlphaTauri to gain back those points uh, they need. Who's doing the development work behind the scenes for them? The simulator driver? Because I think they need to replace that guy. I mean, they're spending loads of money on new upgrades and it's clearly not working. So yeah, just begs the question, like, do they even have the right people in place to get AlphaTauri to perform better than they are? And also, I mean, we know that with these lower budget teams like AlphaTauri, when they do bring upgrades, both drivers don't necessarily get all of them at the same time. So this also does beg the question, would you give the better upgrades to Yuki or would you give it to Ricardo next weekend? That's a very good point, actually, Dan. Having someone in the seat for two and a half seasons already, put his footing in the team, he knows everyone, and he's basically been leading the charge since the freeze came on board, etc. And then you have this Grand Prix winner that came, that's coming halfway through the season, right? So it is a very sticky situation because one is, you know, uh, a Japanese driver who has Honda backing and the other one is hunting for a strong return and fighting for, you know, good results to have that Red Bull seat. So I wouldn't want to be in that, you know, behind the scenes in that team because that's putting a lot of pressure to everyone on who gets priority. But I think at this point, it only makes sense if Yuki gets the priority, don't you think? I mean, he's been so far the longest standing driver with the team. And any upgrades that are introduced, Yuki being the one who knows the car better than anyone else for AlphaTauri would probably make the most sense in the one testing them. I'm going to make a bet and I am going to say that they are going to give Yuki the upgraded bits and bobs just because of, you know, the fact that he's been there for longer. And I'm also going to say because of the wacky weather that we're seeing in Europe, I mean, there's super high temperatures. There's also bits of rain. I think we're going to see equally as tricky conditions as we've seen in the last two races, where it's a little bit wet and a little bit dry. And I think Yuki's going to put it either in the wall or really badly in the gravel. And I think he's going to damage <laughs> those upgrades before anyone actually gets to use them. That's my opinion. I want to also hear your guys' opinions before we wrap up the show on your top three for Hungary. Well, I would say, guys... It'll be a Red Bull uh, dominant weekend as well. We clearly <laughs> stated that uh, Hungary is a high downforce circuit, high deck, which Red Bull has, has very good um, performance on their tires. So Max Verstappen, Checo Perez, and Lando Norris. 
Yeah, Jazz, I'm not far away from that as well. As boring as it is, look, seeing Max win every time. I do kind of want to see him achieve something that no one has too. So yes, I want Max to win and then Chaco to bounce back in P2. But I'd like to see... Actually, I don't know who I'd like to see come P3. Yeah, Lando would be a nice one. Let's just go with Lando. Okay, it looks like we have a unanimous decision this time. Slightly different from last week's episode, but yeah, I'm going to stick with the same. It's definitely going to be Verstappen in P1. Checo, I think he's going to finally get his uh, get his ducks in order and, and be back P2. And I am hoping Lando gets another shot at the podium. Well, only a few days left before the Hungaroring GP, 21st to 23rd of July. We will have our post-Hungary episode coming in very shortly after that, make sure you tune in to Suited and Booted, the Formula One podcast on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as the Shock platform. That's been another episode of Suited and Booted. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Daniel Woodruff, and with me is Jasmine and Weyron, and we will see you next week. Thank you very much, and drive safe. Drive safe.